Pastor Xavier Reese and the consequences that accompany a heart set on riches. Offered to be made carnal if he would quit and be quiet was stated to Martin Luther by the Catholic Church. Luther responded, no, not if I might be made Pope, he added. What kind of choices you make when they present themselves to you? The temptation to compromise, to get ahead financially, has been the ruin, listen, of many Christians. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. It's easy to proclaim that God is the King of Kings, but what happens when we have to put some shoe leather to that claim? Today, as he continues his study in the book of Genesis, Pastor Xavier brings us a real-life account of having faith in God and putting that belief into action. Let's listen. Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 through 24. The message is entitled, Glory to the Only King. Such would be the wisdom of Abraham revealed as he returns victoriously from his rescue operation of Lot. And two kings had gone out to meet him. And this narrative is unfolded for us here. We have the reception of the two kings for Abram in verses 17 and 18. Then we have the disposition of the two kings towards Abram in verse 19 through 21. And then the third is the rejection of one of the two kings by Abram. It has a beginning, it has an end. There's a progression, an application for you and I as we read this story. Notice in verse 17, the first king was the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom ruled over the very corrupt city, as you know. Uh, The king had escaped from being taken prisoner. Notice the king of Sodom now went out to meet Abram at the valley of Shiva. Now, the king of Sodom is waiting with great anticipation, but maybe not as we might think, to thank Abram. Perhaps the journey by the king of Sodom coming up to Jerusalem was not so much to thank him, but rather to confront Abram due to thinking that Abraham was going to attempt to keep the people for himself. If so, his coming was more in displeasure than in delight. The king of Sodom was the representative of the earth at this point. He will appear self-sufficient, self-absorbed, self-assertive, selfish. That's the world. Notice in verse 18, you have the second king, the king of Salem. The king of Salem was Melchizedek. The name Melchizedek identifies this person and is made up of two words. And if you were with us in our Hebrew study, you already know that. The word Melech means king and Sedek means righteousness. So this is the king of righteousness, depicting character as being one who is righteous, one who is just, one who is equitable, one who is honorable, one who has character. A complete contrast to the king of Sodom, who is the personification of corruption and immorality. Melchizedek, notice, is said to be the king of Salem, a title identifying his political position and power. It is believed that he was king of Jerusalem, 
Because the psalmist in Psalm 76.2 ties Salem and Zion together in Jerusalem and identifies Jerusalem as Salem. Zion being the region of the Mount Zion there. The king of Salem, Melchizedek, notice brought out bread and wine. Bread and wine are the elements of communion, eating together, being one. They without doubt here, the bread and the wine are prophetic of the atoning work of Christ, prefigured in the celebration of the Lord's table, the communion, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 26. Notice still there in verse 18 that Melchizedek, the king of Salem, was the priest of God Most High. The second title identifies his spiritual position of mediator between God and man. Melchizedek is the first priest named in Scripture. Melchizedek was a representative of heaven, a type of Jesus who would be fulfilled in the priesthood of Melchizedek then. You have a type of heaven here, a type of the earth, the world. And Abraham is going to have to make some choices. All of us are free to make choices. Abraham's going to have to make some choices here. There's two kings. All our choices in this life are really between two things. The world and the things of heaven. You're going to choose between the things of God and the things of the world. This is what Abraham is going to make a choice on as we move through here. Notice that he moves to the disposition of the two kings towards Abram, 19 through 21. In 19, the blessing of Abram by Melchizedek comes first. Melchizedek blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram, the God of God most high. He belonged to God. The phrase of God marks the possessiveness. This is the heavenly honor being bestowed on Abram. It is an allusion to Abram's name, exalted father, and later on, father of multitudes. God was going to make a nation of him. The promise of Genesis 12, 3 again. Now notice, secondly, here in verse 20. Now he blesses God. Melchizedek said, blessed be God most high. Not just because he created the heavens and the earth, El El Yom, but for his exaltation above everything and every person. He is the highest. He is the eternal one. He is the omnipresent, all present at every place at the same time. He's omnipotent, all powerful. He's omniscient, all knowing. No one higher, no one better. That's enough to praise him. And so Melchizedek, notice, reminds Abram of the source of his victory over the enemies. Who? has delivered your enemies into your hand. Who? God Most High. He was enabled. He was sustained. He was protected. He was delivered. That's what happens in our lives as we trust Christ to work in us and through us. Notice Abram gave him then a tithe of all. Here's his response. He gives a tithe of all. Abram acknowledges the greatness of this man and gives him a tithe. This is the first time that tithing is mentioned in the scriptures. Now look at verse 21. The blessing of the king of Sodom comes now. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons. His words reveal him to be cold, unappreciative, and ungrateful, demanding the return of the people. 
The king of Sodom needed the people to serve him. The people were his security and ensured the perpetuation of his kingdom. Contrast it to Melchizedek interacts, speaks, long dialogue. The king of Sodom, boom, 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 short. The spoils of war, all of them were rightfully Abram's. He had jeopardized his life. He had defeated the four kings of the east. The king of Sodom then said to Abram, and take the goods for yourself. He was giving nothing to Abram. The goods were rightly his. He was attempting to present himself as kind and gracious. He was attempting to pass himself off as enriching Abram. He wanted for Abram to feel indebted to him, revealing himself as dishonest and crafty as he was, revealing his greed an evil heart. The disposition of the two kings towards Abram was heaven and earth apart. Heaven and earth apart. Now notice lastly, we have the rejection of one of the two kings by Abram. Here's the line that everybody has to come to. Verse 22, Abram rebukes the king of Sodom, by declaring his total dependency and confidence on God, not man, for his deliverance. Here it goes. Listen. And Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord Yahweh, God most high, El Elyon. The right hand being raised was symbolic of both an oath and dependency upon God for strength, might, and victory. The covenant God, Yahweh, who had called him out of Ur the Chaldees, the creator God, El Elyon, the very same God of Melchizedek. The phrases are the same. And then Abram says, the possessor of heaven and earth. Same things that Melchizedek said. The confidence of Abram was on the one who not only created all things, but the confidence of Abraham was on the one who owned all things. The confidence of Abram was on the one who by virtue of possessing all the land had promised all the land of Canaan to Abram. And the confidence of Abram on God had changed since the last test of Egypt. He's come a long ways. Egypt, now the Valley of the Kings. What a difference it has made in the life of Abram. It has been said that through fear, Abram received gifts in Egypt, but now in faith, rejected gifts. That's good. He was looking to God now. It makes all the difference in the world. Notice Abram moves on and reproves the king of Sodom in verse 23 by declaring his acknowledgement and contentment with God's provisions. Abram said, that I will not take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap. Abram was not lacking in the smallest and the most basic things as a shoestring. Abram was saying he wanted to be blameless before all. This is so crucial as a Christian because the world is looking to see if we have integrity. Abram says, in that I will not take anything, listen, that is yours. Abram did not want in any way to be associated with the king of Sodom. 
Abram did not want anyone in the crowd to get any suspicion or idea that he had gone out as a servant of the king of Sodom. Whoa. And so Abram states the reason clearly. Listen, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. He busts the king. <laughs> he exposes him. He would not allow the world to contaminate, partake of the glory of God's work. He would not. He would not allow anyone to contaminate the blessings of God. That is so wise. For that reason, we don't have funds. We don't have uh, telethons. We don't uh, give you sad stories to extract money from you. We don't have cookie sales. We don't do anything because we want God to get the glory. And I can tell you it's a true miracle what God has done because we're not a wealthy congregation and he has paid everything off. He's got us on the radio. We go, we minister the gospel. We do medical outreaches. I, I don't know how, but God does it. To him is the glory, and we can all agree on this. Notice verse 24. Abram reminded the king of Sodom then that he was speaking only for himself. This is all so wise. This is so much of integrity. Abram said, except only what the young men have eaten. The men who fought were at least entitled to their food provisions. This probably includes the 318 trained servants and the others who fought. And then Abram says, and the portion of the men who went with me, and he names them, Anner, Eshkol, and Manri. Let them take their portions. You know why? These guys probably weren't Christians. And Christians in the sense of knowing Yahweh. These guys were his surrounding neighbors that accompanied him in the rescue. They had their eyes on Abram. All right, we've heard much about your God. Let's see what this dude's going to do when we get there. King of Sodom is pretty powerful. Let's see if this dude bends. Wow. Abram would not impose his choice on the other three friends regarding the spoil. He was speaking for himself how commendable this was. What an example for these three individuals. Offered to be made carnal if he would quit and be quiet was stated to Martin Luther by the Catholic Church. Luther responded, quote, No, not if I might be made pope, he added. Let me be counted fool, so I be not guilty of cowardly silence. The Romanists called him an apostate. He answered, quote, I am indeed an apostate, but a blessed and holy apostate, one that has fallen off from the devil. Oh, that is great. What kind of choices are you making when they present themselves to you? Hmm. The temptation to compromise, to get ahead financially, has been the ruin, listen, 
of many Christians. I'm not here to judge the world. Of many Christians. Don't compromise your integrity for money. Don't destroy years of long life and character for some money. Many ministers have done this. I have witnesses myself. Don't be unequally yoked in business with unbelievers. Now, you can get a job from a non-believer, go work for a non-believer. And if you are a Christian who has a business, you can hire non-believers because you're making the decisions. You set the policy. But if you're a Christian, don't go in partnership with a non-believer because now you're unequally yoked. And when it comes to paying taxes, doing everything right, they're not going to want to do that. And you will be guilty and you will lose everything. It'll happen. And if not, where's your witness? Proverbs 23, 5 says, Will you set your eyes on the things which are not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle towards heaven. Gone. The key to life is contentment. Contentment. Contentment is not complacency, by the way. Doesn't mean you you don't just, eh, whatever. Contentment is not indifference. Where opportunity presents, he's, nah, I don't want to. Contentment is being satisfied with what God has given to me and valuing it as a steward. And if there's an opportunity for me to move on and benefit, I will do that as a steward without living for it or pursuing it for the sake of itself. It's real simple. Listen to 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 11. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we should be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and snares. And in many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men's destructions and perditions. Now listen. For the love of money is the root of all evils. Not money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith. He's talking about Christians. He's not talking about the world. Which some have strayed from the faith. In their greediness, piercing themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. I can tell you in the short 31 years I've been a Christian, I have seen Christians lose their pants as they go after greed. Get involved in all kinds of stuff they shouldn't because they don't pay heed. The Christian must be very careful to not impose his lifestyle and standards on the non-believer. Abram said, now this is my choice. I don't speak for them. Don't lay your standard of Christianity on the non-believer. Listen, here's the principle. They're dead in trespasses and sins like you and I were. They can't do it. They don't know God. They, they think you're judging them, and rightly so. And they are dead in trespasses and sins. They can't do it. You might as well go into a morgue and, 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 and go talk to a corpse and then get mad because it doesn't respond. You cannot demand a non-believer to live like a Christian. He's spiritually dead. He has no capacity. Be an example that they may ask. Hey, how do you do it? Well, I thought you'd never ask. Now demand it of other Christians. But do not demand the standard of the non-believer. They must be born again. The Christian must also be very careful to not impose their own convictions on other Christians. Where there is personal liberty... That is not living in sin. That is very clear, okay? But personal liberties. 
Let me give you some principles. Romans 12.3 says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. The context is the gifts of the Spirit, but the principle is the same. It focuses on pride. Pride exalts us. We think we're better than someone else because they don't do certain things. Here's the second principle, Romans 14, 22. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is the one who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Liberties of conscience that are not sin, such as eating meat or vegetables. Okay? Another example that you might think, somebody might say, you know, I wouldn't have a TV if you bought it. It's a devil's box. Well, fine, I can honor that. I can respect that. But there's nothing wrong with having the TV and you're looking at things like the news and programs that are decent. That's just a personal conviction, you understand? Okay? So learn to distinguish that liberty of conscience that you, feel you have the liberty and others don't. And don't impose it on each other. That's legalism. Be careful. Here's another one. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought into the, bar, the power of any. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. In other words, if I cannot say no to something, I'm no longer free. Example, you're a Dr. Pepper guy or gal. You do not drink anything but Dr. Pepper. I don't care where you go. And you go into the restaurant, you order your food, and you say, oh, by the way, uh, I'll take a Dr. Pepper. Oh, we don't have it. Do you have Mr. Pip? No. Oh, you get up, you storm. I'm not eating here. You're not free. You're in bondage to Dr. Pepper. When you can't say no to something, you're not free. Let me give you the last one. 1 Corinthians 10, 23. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Here it is. I want to do only the things that are going to build me up. What is going to build me up in my spiritual life? There are things that I can do that are they're not sin in and of themselves. Okay? Example. I can choose to, let's say they have a men's seminar, and you've got the Super Bowl. Okay? Or whatever. And you've got to decide. Ah, you're, you're perfectly free. You can stay home and watch the game. You're not going to go to hell. But what's going to build you up more? You understand? I'm using extreme cases so you can see the obvious principle I'm talking about. All right? Choices, people. The rejection of one of the two kings by Abram was a major test of life. This is a watershed. This marked his life and has been recorded for us. There are things in your life and mine that will be watersheds in your life. They will mark your life. Either to see your sin, to turn from it and say, Lord, forgive me, and your life will change and God will bless you. God will just do an incredible work. Or you will take the wrong detour and you'll say, you know, I think I can get away with it. And you're dead. It's a choice. And so as the returning army approached Jerusalem, this crowd of people were gathered to meet Abram who led them. Yet the two kings were the focus. The reception of the two kings for Abram was impressive. The disposition of the two kings towards Abram was heaven and earth apart. 
and the rejection of one of the two kings by Abram was a major life test. Man, I don't know about you, but I need this. <laughs> I need this very, very much. Glory to the only king, no one else. Pastor Xavier Reese and the importance of making the Lord your reason for living and none other. And you can pick up a copy of today's message, Glory to the Only King. We're making it available on CD for only $4. Now, this also contains what Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together. So the title to ask for once again is Glory to the Only King. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. What do you do when things seem to get out of control? Learn the answer when you tune in to the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 